Buzzing, everybody. Welcome back to Honey's Raw Rambles. I am your host, Lely B, and also your friendly neighborhood mental health advocate and behavioral therapist. We are back for episode four, and per the title, you can see we have a special guest today who also happens to be my good friend, Hunter. Hi, Hunter. Welcome to the podcast. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, how's it going? Um, thanks for having me. Uh, so, I... Um, I'm a mental health advocate, a men's mental health advocate. I I believe that it's uh, something that's not talked about enough. And so I appreciate you having me on and able to talk about it. So uh, I, I'm just a single man. Uh, I have children and um, I, I love learning things. So I, yeah, I'm grateful to be here. Awesome. Great to hear. And also, he is tuning in from the beautiful state of Utah. So those who know I'm in California, that's uh, quite a while, but not too long away. Um, So Hunter and I actually met on TikTok, on TikTok Live, and we met through a group that is completely irrelevant to where we are now in terms of speaking to mental health. And um, I talked a little bit about my podcast on there, promoted it a little bit. He showed interest. And so here we are now. So per the title, we're going to be talking about um, emotions, more specifically those that are not so happy and pleasant to deal with. And like he said, he is a mental health advocate for men, which is I would kind of say it's kind of rare. Um, And I really appreciate that because to be honest, I've never met somebody who does do that. So Hunter, I just wanted to start with a little question just for an icebreaker. Um, What is your experience with raw emotions and those that are not so pleasant to experience? Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for all that. I really appreciate all everything you just said that made me feel really good. And uh, there isn't a lot of people that talk about men's mental health. Uh, that's why we're spreading awareness. So to answer your question, um, I, 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 I grew up not uh, allowed to express my emotions and feelings. And I thought that was normal. And a lot of men, they, they get shut down, you know, just the, the idea that society has that men aren't allowed to show emotions because it makes them look weak. Um, I grew up with that mindset and it took like, I carried that into my marriage, which wasn't healthy and uh, started raising kids with that same mindset. And I got divorced, which changed everything for me. And that sent me on a path uh, towards where I am now. And I learned that, you know, we're all, we're all equal, right? Men and women, every, everybody's the same and that we all feel things. And I, I learned that, um, you know, expressing our emotions in a healthy way is, is beneficial. And, um, so I, I took classes and I just, just through the experience of life, I learned that, um, expressing myself, expressing my emotions, whether they were, you know, happy or angry or frustrated or, you know, anything like that, like expressing them in the moment, acknowledging them in the moment, I learned that, you know, I, I feel better. Right. And I've taken, you know, steps to, to, uh, you know, like I meditate my journal and, you know, I read, I, I love reading. So a lot of stuff that I've learned is through books and just experience. So, um, and the reason why I decided to do that is because I wanted something better. I wanted something better with my life. And I wanted to raise my kids in an environment unlike mine. Um, so, like, I just, I see a lot of men that, that hold things in and I don't like it. And, and I want just, I just want everybody to know that it's okay. It's okay to cry, you know. <laughs> so. Right. Perfect. Yeah, that's that's a really good elaboration on what we're, you know, talking about. And I totally hear you on, you know, there's such a stereotype where men are just expected to be these strong beings and completely emotionless P- 
people and I don't I personally do not understand it. I know a couple people that have actually been raised like that. And I know that it brings a lot of pride issues into friendships, relationships, and like you said, marriages. What do you feel like is the problem? What do you think is the root of wanting to be emotionless and and strong? What is the purpose or what do you think people think when they develop that mentality? So... Men, men, men are, we're, we're supposed to be the protectors, like men protect and provide, right? That, right. that's our, that's our key. That's, that's our um, main focus in life, protect and provide. Over time, people have thought that, oh, you know, crying makes, make, makes you look weak or, or, or showing emotion makes you look weak. And therefore, you know, people, people think, oh, that person can't handle life because they're crying or, or they're, they, they show their emotions. And just over, you know, over time, it just became the norm. It became the norm. Like I, when I grew up, when I was a kid, I thought fear and respect were the same thing. You know, like, like I was afraid to do anything. And so that's how I grew up. And I, I saw everybody doing it. And, and, um, you know, I would bottle up these emotions. I would bottle up the emotions. And I, again, I'm like, I can only speak on my experience, but I know that there's a lot of men that have shared with me the same thing. So um, I, I would bottle things up. I would bury things and be like, I'm cool. I'm fine. You know, I'm good. And I would just be this wall, this stone wall of just emotionless wall. And then I would take hits, you know, left and right and just get popped. And then, I, I would, I would explode and uncontrollably explode and I would lose my temper and, you know, things would happen. And, and I, so for me, like it felt good to release, but I thought that what felt good was those acts of, 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 uh, violence, the temper, you know? So I was confused as, as to what felt good. Um, when I learned that it wasn't actually the acts that I was feeling good about, it was the release. So I learned that um, releasing the emotions in a proper way, like, so when, when men, when men take hits, they feel like they can't talk. They can't do it because they, they, and they don't have anybody to talk to. We don't have, many people to talk to uh, and that's because of society it's because of how society uh has painted that picture of of men so men are afraid to talk to people like i i i speak at a men's group and this guy came up to me afterwards and i thought he was going to hit me but he cried on my shoulder and said thank you thank you for thank you for you know sharing your experience and allowing me to share mine he's like we're not all that different you and i and that's when I knew that, you know, there's more men out there that, that don't know who to talk to, don't know who to, who to reach out to. And, you know, all, at, the end, at the end of the day, all we want is love, right? Like everybody wants to be loved. And so I just want to change the perception of how men, you know, can show their emotions. Right. That's good. Um, if I may interject, I... I wanted to ask, have you ever known of a female who projects these things, who has ever told you, you know, I don't cry, like that's for the week? Have you ever met a female like that? Yeah, I have. I've met quite a few, actually, um, which one of one of which was my mother. So that's that and that that was that was intense. Because not only was a because you know the mother, the women are are nurturers, right? They 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 take they take care of their children, and I I never felt safe because I couldn't cry in front of my mother either. My mother actually was one of those women. Yeah. Right. I asked that because when you were saying all this, um, I was reminded about how I grew up, and. You know, it's funny coming from a therapist now at the age of 23, but when I was a kid, I also couldn't cry in front of my parents. And 
I don't think to this day that I've ever told them that mostly because it slipped my mind and it's not something that I do. But, um, as a kid, I felt like I couldn't cry in front of my parents. Um, because I felt like I may be ridiculed. I don't know. I can't tell you that that was the case because I never let it happen. But I just wanted to share really quick is that my first ever um, experience of loss and my first quote unquote, you know, heartbreak as a kid was losing my dog. Um, I had my dog and I cared for it and I took care of it every day. And then I lost it. And I remember that I would cry in my room like uncontrollably. And um, but as soon as the door opened to my room and I would go out in the kitchen or the living room, I had dry eyes and I had a smile. And I particularly remember one time we were driving and I was in the back seat and they were talking about the dog, you know, how it happened, what happened. And I remember I wanted to cry so bad, but. I didn't because, again, I, I had that fear of being ridiculed or being mocked or laughed at. So I just let like this huge lump develop in my throat. And I was just so scared that they would see me crying for the rearview mirror. I don't know why I had that irrational fear. I, I never grew up with parents that, um, you know, didn't let me express my emotions. But that's just how I grew up. And even into my teenage years, like if I had, you know, heartbreak because of boys or whatever I never let anybody see me cry and if if anybody did ever see me cry I would get mad I'd be mad and I'd be like what are you doing here like get out of here so but I can really honestly say that never in my life have I seen my father cry never and you know what he lost his father when I was younger and he did not cry he held in his tears but then a few months later he had a heart attack mm-hmm And so the doctor said that it was from um, stress and from, you know, just so much pressure building up. And so they asked him, did you have any traumatic event happen recently? And my mom told the doctors like, yeah, he he just lost his dad. So it's like I never grew up seeing my parents cry. So I felt like I couldn't cry around them because that's embarrassing Right. And that that's so that it's 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 interesting you say that because um, I mean, it sounds like you grew up in, in a very like safe home, safe environment. But like you said, you never saw your, you know, your your father cry. So you it's when we're born, we're we are afraid of two things. Right. We're afraid of loud noises and falling. Everything else is a learned fear. So at some point in your life, you learned like you became afraid to cry for whatever reason, whether it was school or the fact that you didn't see, you never saw your parents cry. So you were afraid to make, to look weird in front of them. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, it all really starts with parenting. Like, like for me, so I have three kids and my daughter's my favorite and I'll tell everybody that, but my kids that my daughter's my favorite. Um, when she was born, that that pushed me over the edge. Like, okay, am I the type of man I, I'm okay with my daughter dating? And I couldn't say yes to that. I So I changed the way I did things and I changed the way I parented. And my kids, I teach them that it's okay. Like, I will cry in front of my kids. I will cry in front of anybody and I'm not ashamed of it. And it, I mean, there'll be authentic tears. Like, I, I can't like make myself cry, right? But, um, you know, I make for me, it all starts with the parenting. And, you know, I have taught my kids that I am a safe place. I am safe and I, that I love them regardless of what they do. I'm safe. And they can come to me now and they're okay with crying. They don't like, I see my kids growing up and they, they're, they can release their emotions a lot easier. And it's beautiful to me. And it's something that I wish that I had when I was younger. However, if I did, I wouldn't be right here. Right. So it all starts with the parenting for me, just like learning, learning how to be vulnerable in front of your children, which allows the children to be vulnerable in front of you. And then they know it's okay. And then they go, they take that out into society and they'll be less likely to be afraid to show emotions. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, most of these things are carried from generations to generations, you know, because something I know is my mom told me that, you know, her mom didn't show her. um, So something that goes on in my life is that my mom's not very expressive. Mm. She, um, you know, occasionally, very occasionally, and I can say maybe every couple years she will verbally say, I love you. So I didn't really grow up hearing that from her. Um, I grew up hearing it from my dad. My dad, he's very expressive. He's, you know, it gets to the point where he's like smothering me, like kisses, hugs, I love you and stuff. But growing up, I noticed that I wasn't getting that from my mom. My mom will never and has never gone up to me for a hug voluntarily. It's always been me. My mom has, you know, very scarcely said I love you throughout my life. Um, I can genuinely say that she has never gone up to me voluntarily to give me a kiss, any of that, nothing. And so, you know, and that's another thing that I'll touch on later. But when I was going to therapy, I confronted her about it and I told her, hey, um, you know, why don't you do all these things? And she told me, yes, I do. And I'm like, no, you don't. And she's like, well, I express my love to you in a different way. You know, I I buy you clothes and I clean your room and I cook you meals. And I'm like, that's, you know, okay, I'm grateful for that. But I really needed this affection from you, you know. And like you said, mothers are nurturers. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Like, I did grow up in a safe home. I love my parents to death. They're really great. They've done so much for me. But I'm just, you know, nitpicking those things where these are things that I grew up with. You know, my my mom not showing any emotion because she wasn't shown any emotion by her mother. She wasn't shown any affection. She she didn't know it. And so what I told myself and what I told others is that how are you going to teach something that you haven't learned? Right, right, right. Because we only we only we only live how we've been taught and and like when when i saw my mother and her husband that marriage that was the only type of marriage i saw and so when i got married i thought that that was norm i thought that that marriage was what i was supposed to do and you know obviously i got divorced which by the way was the greatest thing to ever happen to me um you know it, it pushed me over it pushed me to the point of okay i need some something has to change right um but yeah we only do what we've been taught and it's not you know it doesn't make us at fault uh that just gives us the opportunity to go out and figure out what we want so um but yeah i, I can see what you're saying with your mom and and I, i'm glad that you recognize that and you know confront her about it because not many people do that either no not many. And and there would be parents that would get defensive about it. You know, like, oh, you're ungrateful. Like, you're pointing out these flaws in me. I see. I didn't deal with that. You know, my mom was like, I knew that she was reflecting because she kind of just took a step back and was like, huh. You know, I left it at that. I went to my room. But I saw her try to do it and it wasn't coming to her naturally. It kind of seemed forced. And you know, I told her, I was like, I'm an adult now. Like, it's fine. Like, you don't have to do it. I'm just letting you know that this is what I needed when I was younger. And and I don't blame you. I, I do not blame her at all because, again, you can't teach something you haven't learned. And so that's another thing is their marriage is the only marriage that I saw growing up. And so now that I'm engaged, I take and I refuse, you know, so I'll take something that I like from their marriage and be like, oh, I'm going to apply this in my marriage. I like this. Look, we should do this. We should do this. That is something I'm not going to do. I'm going to stay away from that. See, this is what happens when that happens. So no, thank you. You know, so I've been taking like mental notes and stuff. And now as an adult, I'm just like, okay, like this is what healthy looks like. And this is what toxic looks like. And so it's, that's just, awesome. it's just crazy, you know, <laughs> that's, that's awesome that you have that awareness. That's, that is huge. That, that is going to do wonders for your marriage. Like that is just, that's amazing. So good, good for you. First of all, for that, props to you. <laughs> um, Thank you. Uh, like, so when you were saying, when you're talking about how your mother 
um, said, you know, I show you love in different ways. That reminded me of, um, you know, the five love languages. Like we all receive, we all give and receive love differently. It's up to us to acknowledge how we receive love and how others receive love. Right. So like for me back in the day, it was words of affirmation and gifts like receiving gifts. That's what I liked. That's what I needed. I don't now, now it's physical touch and quality time. Like I'm older, I'm a lot more confident with myself and I don't, I don't necessarily need the words of affirmation. When I hear them, you know, I, I acknowledge and th- say thank you, but it's not really necessary. You know what I mean? And so it, that's key to, to know how anybody, any person in, in, in your life, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or, you know, family learning those people's love languages and how they receive love. And that would make the bonds, those connections a lot stronger, right? Right, yes. And for any listener that has made it this far, thank you, first of all. And also, I'd like to say that um, the five languages, the five love languages are a book that you can read. It's by Gary Chapman. Or you can, you know, go online and read up on them and even take quizzes I've seen. So I've taken quizzes and I've gotten the same results every time. So I know that my love language is physical touch. And then um, the second one it showed was quality time. And my fiance's first one is quality time. And his second one is physical touch. And that's also... And you know what's crazy? I'm about I'm about to blow your mind. Well, I don't know if you've heard this before, but um, in psychology, when I was working on getting my degree, they told us, and I learned that your primary love language is what you lacked mm-hmm. growing up. Holy cow! Yeah. So it's crazy. <laughs> and when we analyzed this, my fiance and I, he was like oh my goodness, like quality time, like, you know, because of his own life and going on, you know, I'm not going to come on here and put out his business, but so physical touch was mine. And I was talking about how my mom never gave me hugs, never gave me kisses, you know, yep. and it's crazy. And so, but like you said, your love language has changed now. And that's because um, as we progress through life, we're constantly evolving. We develop mm-hmm. different needs. Um, our environments change. And so, as we progress in life, our needs change. Yeah, that is, that is, that is so true. Um, that you, you really did blow my mind. Like I, I was, I was not expecting that, but it may like, like just looking back, like I'm like, yeah, nope. I never got the physical touch. Like I never got hugs from my mom. Um, her husband, when like he never even touched me in a, in a, like a loving way like that. So like, I don't even know what that looks like <laughs> but um i yeah i never got that love and affection that i wanted i did get a lot of praise because i was a people pleaser like i grew up being a people pleaser and so i always got the oh you're so good at this oh you're so good at that and that so i was like yeah that wasn't healthy for me either though because i grew up being a people pleaser and always putting myself last and and never acknowledging what my needs both mental and physical and that was another thing like that that was another thing that i um was made aware of and you know i i learned to take care of myself first i learned to fill myself up first and that way i am able to assist others in in doing the same thing like i can't do something for someone but i can push them in the right direction you know what i mean right yeah cuz how are you going to pour from an empty cup right 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 you know i was doing that for a long time like i was trying to do i was making every drop count for a long time but uh it's easy now it's easy for me now i mean i still i still have a lot of work to do i still i still am am trying to better myself every day both mentally and physically and and it's just easier for me to have these conversations with people and and like you know strangers i I love it i love doing it because i know that what i've been through um, all the abuse and both mental and physical, I, I, I know that I came out of that a stronger person and I want to reach out and help others that have gone through the same that might not know how to handle it. Right. And then you also get to 
enjoy the fact that they have no background knowledge so they can't judge you you know so you get to start fresh every single time and I think I told you that one time on a live is that um or at least for me I crave deepness I crave um intimacy in a enriching way of having conversations you know like because human contact is important uh, you know, life is already short as it is. So I'm constantly trying to meet as many people as I can, as long as I have, you know, this time on earth. And I love having deep conversations. I love passing the superficial surface. Absolutely. I hate small talk. You know, I think I, I, I heard you say you listened to my last episode where I talked about how small talk is the easiest thing to do you know people don't want to put an effort into having conversations and building you know relationships and you know taking off that layer in order to go in deeper into conversations and form connections so yeah. <laughs> I so it's funny like because well first of all I, I agree with everything you just said and and I I have listened to all your episodes. I figured I'd listen to them all. So I knew what I was getting myself into. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so I have a buddy and he would try to have deep conversations with me. And we were friends. Like we're still friends. He's one of the few people that I have have been friends with in this life transition that I've gone through. But um, he used to try to have a conversation with me and I would just nod my head and be like, I don't know, bro. I don't know, bro. Like, I don't know. Like it got to the point where he just quit talking to me because I couldn't have a deep conversation. Uh, When I realized and started getting in tune with myself and listening to myself and, and actually, you know, striving to, to be better, you know, now him and I have great deep conversations and that's, I, I love having those deep conversations. Like, like you said, small talk is, is, is it's, it's easy, but it only gets you so far. So, um, like, and that's why I got on TikTok was because I wanted to reach out to people because I knew that there were other people out there similar with a similar mindset, you know, and so I love deep conversations and it's made it a little harder. And I'm sure, as you know, it's made it a little harder to meet people because a lot of people don't like having deep conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes them uncomfortable. And you know what? I don't blame them because if they haven't learned to be intact with their emotions or, you know, to keep a conversation going, it's not their fault. You know, they haven't, they haven't learned that. They haven't unlocked that skill yet. (laughs) Right. So like, I, I, like, I absolutely love that, that you're doing, like, I love your podcast and I love everything that you're doing. And, um, you know, you, I, I have a question for you, actually. Um, why, why did you become a therapist? Cause, cause, and I'll, 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 I'll tell you why I'm asking after you answer the question. Oh, okay. After? <laughs> okay. And you know, what's so funny is I took a little note too of a question I wanted to ask you. And I was like, oh, cause we, we left the topic so fast and I wanted to go back to it, but the conversation was so good that it just was left in the dust. So I guess I'll ask you after I answer. All right. Perfect. Okay. So why did I become a therapist? Um, let's see. Again, I feel like people have this view of therapists, like they're so knowledgeable and they're so intact with their emotions and like they can, you know, help anybody and everybody is just going to be great after they have a session with them. And that's not exactly how it is. Um, I'll start this. I'll preface this by saying that therapists, you know, have their own problems because, you know, I see clients every day and clients that range from um, having autism, having ADHD, having anxiety, all these kinds of things. And we have to kind of form that that barrier of once we go home like we're no longer at work. So I try not to think about my clients cases and stuff like that, but that's besides the point. Um, so why did I get into therapy? Well, it's easy. It's easy because I'm going to say that therapy helped me. Um, growing up, I, like I've said before, I had, you know, 
really great parents and really great friends and everything was great but it was more so like a battle I was fighting within myself um for whatever reason you know the chemicals in my brain weren't doing their job and so I was about let's see 15 15 years old when I was forced to go to therapy by my school so the vice principal um you know told my parents so here's what happened here's the story I didn't I didn't really want to get into it because I didn't want it to be extended but I'll just get into it so when I was 15 years old my brother moved out of our home he went on to do you know his own thing he was in college he was making a life of his own but he's my only sibling so he was my first best friend he was you know everything I I loved hanging out with him it was an everyday thing for us and so when that sudden change took place in my life um that was it the house was always quiet my parents were always working um and so I kind of just was like you know what do I do with myself and so but my parents were also mourning the fact that he left home and and they were sad you know because that's their firstborn and so they were so focused on getting him what he needs and you know reaching out to him talking to him on the phone and stuff like that and so I felt like all the attention was just kind of taken off me and I was like well what about me you know I'm still in this home like why why is nobody paying attention to me so I went on you know I was at school and I was just acting out. I was acting out because I was like, you know what? Like, my parents aren't even paying attention to me. Like, whatever. I'm going to be ruthless and reckless. And I'm going to do this. I did something that got me into a lot of trouble, which actually led me to be suspended from my high school. So, Troublemaker. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, my parents were really sad about that. They were like, why'd you do this? And I was like, what? Like, you guys don't even care. Like, why do you care why I did this? You know, I was, I was being that kind of teenager to them. And um, the severity of what I did apparently was enough to get me sent to therapy. So the vice principal wrote a letter and told my parents, you know, you guys have to take her to this therapist. Um, don't worry about any you know, payments, like it's funded by the school district. Da, 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 da. So I went and I refused to talk. Mm. I was, they were taking me to therapy and I would just sit on the couch and nothing, like nothing would come out of me. And the therapist, you know, it was already three sessions of me not talking. And the therapist told my parents like, um, sorry, like this isn't working. You know, it's kind of wasting my time. And my parents were like, well, she has to come. It's required by the school. So eventually the therapist got me to talk because he said something that hit a nerve. And he was like, the people who, um, he said, the people who need therapy the most are the people that aren't in here. He's like, so if you're in here, it's because you don't need it. He's like, so what are you doing here? He's like, you're wasting my time. And, you know, I just started crying. And so I actually developed a great relationship with him. I, I was going to him for two years, you know. So I was eventually 16. I moved high schools. I moved homes. And I had to, you know, leave. But by that time, I was already, you know, good to go. And I remembered everything I went through when I was in college because I wanted to be a doctor. I had done surgical interns. I had been in operating rooms, everything. And I just had a sudden turn of events where I wanted to be a psychologist. I wanted to get a degree in psychology. I love the human mind. And I was studying it. I was studying depression, anxiety, everything. And I loved it. And it clicked with me and it resonated with me. So I reached out to my therapist from when I was 16 years old. As a 20-year-old, I reached out to him. And he was just so, you know, excited to hear that I was, number one, still alive. Because if we want to get deep right now, we will. Because at 16, I did not want to be alive. So <laughs> he was like, wow. You know, he was so happy to hear that I was alive. I was thriving. I went to college. And that really just pushed me to try harder, to work harder in college and get my degree. And so it was mostly based on personal experience. And that and I've always been told that I'm a really good listener. 
So that's what led me to be a therapist is my own personal experience and how it helped me. My own success story, if you will. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. And that's, I mean, we can get as deep as you want. I mean, I don't, I don't, I look forward to it. Um, so I, th- I, like, I know that feeling of not wanting to be, you know, not wanting to be here. Well, um, and I've had that a few times in my life. Um, there was, there was a time in my life where I didn't think I would make it to the age of 16. And when I turned 16, I'm like, what am I going to do with myself? I don't, I wasn't expecting this. Right. Um, like, so, so I love, I love that you took your, your experience and became, and it became a, a passion to you because you, it's people that, it's people like you that are going to change the world that, that are actually going to make a difference because of that very experience of yours. Um, I went to therapy and I hated it. I hated therapy and I never wanted to go. Like I had, I have had abandonment issues my whole life. Like first my, so my mom left me, my mom left me at, at a gas station in the middle of, of Houston when I was 12 years old and said, find somebody who can take care of you because I can't anymore. And you know, there was a whole lot of things that had happened prior to that where like, I don't really, it's not necessary to get into, but she, she left me alone and I had to figure out, and that was in Texas. And I had to, and I figured out a way to get to Utah. Like I called my, my grandfather, he called my aunt, my aunt came and picked me up and then took, brought me up to Utah. Um, and that like, and when I all, you know, when I was in, um, going to school up until the age of 12, I was locked in my house like I couldn't have friends I couldn't go outside I couldn't do anything my grades were great but I didn't have a social life and then when I moved to Utah I was I was given all this freedom and I didn't know what to do with it so I run amok I got in a lot of trouble and hey you you've been suspended from one or you've been suspended once I've been suspended multiple times and I got kicked out of two high schools (laughs) and I still graduated (laughs) so um but like when I moved to Utah, I had a therapist because my grandparents were like, this kid is out of control. We need, he needs to talk to somebody. Well, I already had trust issues, right? I already had abandonment issues and I didn't want to talk to a stranger about my problems because uh, going back to the perception of men, I thought I wasn't allowed to talk about those things. Even if someone was asking me about it, I'm like, yeah, I don't know you. Like, I'm not going to tell you my, what if you go tell so-and-so or whatever, you know, that's the mind playing games right there with me. And I went through 12, I went through 12 therapists from the age of 12 to uh, 16. And it was because I didn't, I didn't want it to work. I didn't put forth the effort. And personally, I believe everybody should have a therapist, even if it's just someone that you vent to and they don't say a word. It's just a, a, a non-biased soundboard, right? I think everybody deserves to have a therapist because it's, it's beneficial. It's, it's, it's someone to talk to that won't judge you. And um, like I, I appreciate my therapist. I have a therapist now. And, um, but it wasn't until me actually being open to the idea of having a therapist is when it started working for me. So when people say, oh, therapy doesn't work, I think it's not that. I think it's just, by A, finding the right therapist for you, right? And actually being open to talking to a therapist. So, but I appreciate therapists. And, and that's kind of why I asked why you got into therapy because, because I, I, I just, I, I admire what you're doing. So there's that. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah I, I love what I do. I love, you know, I, this is the second company that I'm with and I love it. It's so much fun, you know, especially because my specialty is in pediatrics. So I don't really deal with adults, but I do deal with children and I deal with parents and we do parent trainings. Um, so yes, actually, I, I, I don't think I've ever mentioned that, but yes, we do parent trainings in which we give parents, you know, the tools and we orient them and, um, 
for that, you have to have a master's degree or um, a PhD. So I'm really working towards getting there. I have um, training to do so, but if for me, if we're being real right now, I'm a little bit scared because I have been looked down upon from parents before because they feel that um, that I'm young and I'm not really taken seriously. You don't have kids. And that's another thing is they say, you know, I don't have kids, um, you know, I'm, I'm young, you know, and, and they've been asked to play to be placed with older people. And um, my supervisors and my managers have actually told them, like, she's really well equipped. Like, she's gone through the training. She has her license. Like, this is who you're getting. I, I, I see, like, because that's the, and I'm going to be honest with you. That's the first thing I thought, like, how is she training how to like parent if she's not a parent i will say though i will say that there are a lot of people that give better advice than you know that or they they have um better parenting advice than a parent does um it's just a different perspective so like i and as you were talking i'm like i could be open to hearing what you would have to say about parenting and, but I know we're on the same page as far as parenting goes. So I'm not, we don't have to get into that. Like, like I, I see what you're saying. And I also see their side of things as well, just from being a parent myself. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear that. And, and so another thing that, you know, my supervisors and managers have told parents is that I'm seeing it from a non-emotional perspective mm-hmm. yep. and you have an emotional attachment to your child that affects your parenting style I don't yeah and so obviously you're coming to these sessions because you want help mm-hmm. and so that's what you know my supervisor and my manager had told parents is that you know we don't and and this is in the most respectful manner we don't need you or your services you need us and our services and if I've gone through the training and I have my license and I have my degree what is the problem? And, and, you know, there's been people, parents that have said that and stuck with me and have thanked me and have apologized. So look, my line of work is amazing. I love it. And all power to the parents who are putting in the work to, you know, be better parents and get their child the help that they need. Um, Something I wanted to ask, because we drifted way apart from the topic, which I, you know, I appreciate. I, I love this. I love that, you know, we right. started somewhere and it branched out. But something that stood out to me was that you said that your divorce was, you know, the best thing that could have happened because it led you to where you are now. But what, why, what would you say is the reason that change came after the divorce was there any indicators during your marriage that made you feel like you had to change or was it like a blindfold was taken off after you got the divorce so like like i said i wasn't expecting to be alive at the age of 16 i got married at the age of 20 we had kids i had no business being married i didn't know what a partnership like but i thought i had one life i thought i had I thought I had leveled up and I had one life and I didn't have, I, that, that there was nothing after that. Right. I thought I had succeeded. I didn't realize again, being young, like, you know, and uneducated. Um, I didn't realize how much work a marriage needed, like how much, how much um, uh, attention it would, it would need. Uh, so I played football for a very long time. And that was my love. I got told I couldn't play football anymore. And it threw me down a, a um, depression hole. And I stopped caring about everything. I stopped caring about, you know, my kids and, and myself and my wife. And she got tired of it. But I didn't care, right? I, I was about me. Um, now, at the time, did I think I was the best husband? No, I, I know I knew I wasn't, but I didn't know how to be better. I was doing my best. And I remember I always remember saying that, like, I'm doing my best. What do you want from me? Um, but she didn't know. She didn't know because I was never 
I couldn't communicate. And like, I'd had literally no tools to provide a, and create a healthy partnership. So in the moment, did I know that things needed to, in the moment that I know things needed to be fixed? Yeah, but I didn't know how. And I, I, I wasn't going to talk to anybody because I was prideful and egotistical and uh, just arrogant. And so the divorce pushed me because uh, I had lost everything. I had lost my wife. I thought, you know, I, I, I thought I was a loser and, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for those experiences and I'm, I'm happy for her. She's like, she's remarried. She has two more kids and I, she, she, I, I love seeing her smile and I'm grateful for that. Um, now the reason why the divorce was so crucial was I had lost everything. And when I realized that I didn't get to see my kids every night, it hurt. It hurt a lot. And like, I felt like I was letting them down. And so I tried and tried and tried for two years after the divorce and it did not go well. I was a, I was a doormat. I was a yes man. And I did whatever. And, you know, when I learned to say no and stand up for myself is when like, I started feeling more confident and, and like I started paying attention to the, to my, to myself and just over, just gradually learning that, you know, I have emotions and why I feel things. So when I, when I would get angry, I would take a step back and be like, okay, you know, obviously you get, you getting angry doesn't do any good. So let's stop for a second and, and think like, or feel why, why are you getting angry Hunter? Why are you getting angry? And I learned that I was letting a lot of people, a lot of other people affect my emotions. Now I've, I've since learned to just let things roll off my, you know, let just things, let things roll off my shoulder. I don't take anything personally. And if you want to plug another book, uh, the four agreements is a great book to learn, <laughs> to read. Um, one of my favorite, uh, agreements is never take anything personally, good or bad. Um, and, uh, like I, I learned that other people's opinions of me doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me because I can't please everybody. I can only take care of myself. And as long as I'm happy, then, then at that point I can take care of other people and worry about other people's happiness. Um, but I slowly started to learn that I had control of my emotions and my feelings and not to let other people affect that. And that was another key thing for me because I was always getting so angry about stupid things like traffic. You know, I mean, we all get angry about traffic, right? (laughs) (laughs) But, But I, me personally, I believe that everybody is doing the best they can with the tools and the experience that they have. And so I don't t- I don't, if someone from the outside has, has done something and it causes me hurt, I don't think like, Oh, they've hurt me. I, I hate them now. No, they've done something that rippled out and caused me pain. So how do, how do I, a how do I, respond to that instead of react respond and react to completely different words um how do i respond to that and what what am i going to do you know as far as that person goes um one thing that i've learned that that is very important uh hate and 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 anger and violence is only going to disappear with love hate doesn't get rid of hate violence doesn't get rid of violence it's all love Love will slowly make that hate and violence turn, turn into love. Uh, because again, we all just want to be loved. We just, we, some of us just don't or have forgotten how to allow people to love us and love ourselves. Like self-love is the most important thing. Um, Cause you can't give what you don't have for yourself. Right. I can look in the mirror every day and say, Hunter, I love you. And I, and I, I enjoy that. And I, I love hearing myself say that because eight years ago, I couldn't say that eight years ago. I was so down on myself. I beat myself up over everything. I thought everything was my fault. And it's, it, I learned it wasn't like, like for self-love, self-care, self-forgiveness are very powerful tools, very powerful tools. And they don't make, they don't make, 
they don't make me better than anybody else. I'm no better than anybody else. I'm no better than you or, or any of anybody we know. Um, I'm the same. And that right there allows other people to know that, okay, he doesn't think he's better than me. So I can confide in him about that. Like, like I just, I can talk about my experience of life openly and confidently and without judgment and that right there being vulnerable is allowing like so many hundreds of people, millions of people that listen to this podcast, <laughs> the opportunity, <laughs> <Wow>. the, <laughs> the opportunity to, to in turn do that, you know, in their lives. So I like life is just, life is too darn beautiful. Life. Like I love, I genuinely love everybody. I mean, you've seen me like we've interacted yeah. On, on, yeah. like on camera and and how everything just like like I you know I I get told all the time I'm I'm beaming I'm radiant and I'm glowing and that's just the love and and now I see people from those from those groups that we would talk to I see them out and about all over TikTok world and 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 they're radiant they're glowing they're beaming and I'm and I just I sit back and like that's exactly what I'm trying to do like men and women alike like I I'm just it makes me happy to know that we're doing something positive with what we have. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I just, I just, I just love it. Like love, love is everything. And it, yeah, it's, I don't remember what your question was now, <laughs> but I hope I answered it. <laughs> Neither do I. I mean, that is my motto, you know, for me, um and and my person you know it's love god love people and that's that's it so i mean that's all i have for you um i i think this conversation was amazing oh oh yeah i, I had a blast and i i mean hopefully we can do this again hopefully you know i'd like i'd like to do this again another time maybe maybe about a different subject who knows but yeah i'd like to do this i love this this is fun all right. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, yeah, is there you anything else you'd me. like to say before I let you go? Um, you're amazing. And <laughs> uh, if, you, if, if, if anybody wants to talk about anything, I'm, um, you can reach me on Snapchat or, or not Snapchat, uh, TikTok. You can reach me on TikTok. Uh, it's Hunter underscore A-L, the number one E-N. And um and then you'll find the rest of my social medias on there. So, uh, but reach out to me. I'm, I'm always open to talking and listening and just loving you, loving anybody. I can love everybody. Awesome. Sounds good. Perfect. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for so having me. much for joining us. All right. All right. Take care. And that has been Honey's Raw Rambles, everybody.